0: Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Before getting into the episode today, I wanted to share with you the exciting news that the podcast now has a website, runfitraj.com, that's R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. Please check out the website. Uh, It has all the podcasts. It has all the show notes. There is a very useful search function uh, where you can search the various episodes and the show notes. And do send me any feedback or questions uh, that you have. That's runfitraj.com. Today's episode is basically a question and answer session. These are some of the common questions which uh, come up from uh, podcast uh, listeners or some of the people who have been in touch with me. So we are planning to do this occasional Q&A session where we cover topics, uh, various topics related to running. So the first question that we are going to take up today is on low heart rate training or what is more popularly known as the MAF method. And MAF stands for Maximum Aerobic uh, Function so we will uh, uh, we will answer this question uh, in a few parts uh, we will start with what is low heart rate uh, heart rate training so the most commonly applied formula for low heart rate training is as follows which is you take uh, your age and subtract that from 180 now suppose let's say you are a 40 year old runner and uh, the, when you do that you get 140 so basically that 140 uh, um, heart rate is what is the maximum you will use for your uh, for your training so typically what the math method recommends is that you train in a range of 10 beats which is in this case 130 to 140 beats now one of the common problems when people start out on uh, low heart rate training uh, especially if you are a new uh, new, uh, new student of this uh, this method is that the pace considerably reduces so it's a very very common uh, frustration when it comes to low heart rate training that people when they begin it uh, begin the training and I can not start by uh, you know sharing my own example in this which is uh, if you take my last uh, marathon the full marathon distance I ran I ran at a pace of approximately 4 minutes uh, 45 seconds uh, or 4 minutes 40 seconds uh, per kilometer and sometime in the middle of last year, that is in 2020, when I started to use the MAF method, I, to my shock, I realized that in order to maintain uh, the, uh, within the zone, which I just described, my pace was above seven minutes uh, a kilometer. So this is not unusual. In fact, most runners uh, will experience this when they are new to the MAF method. And uh, there is no, you know, if you want to get benefits from this method, the best way is to believe in the system and stick with it. So that is the first point as far as the low heart rate training is concerned. Then the second question comes. So if I am running at uh, you know, such a slow pace and in fact, what happens uh, and it happened in my case also is that occasionally when the heart rate goes above the prescribed threshold, in the example, we started with, let's say, 140 beats per minute you may have to slow down. Uh, uh, instead of slowing down, many people take a walking break. And there is nothing wrong with that. It's not like you are not continuing to get the benefits of training because the walking break is part of the same, uh, same session. Uh, so that then the next question comes is that, uh, you know what is the minimum amount of training I have to do uh, in order to see some benefits coming from low heart rate training? So while there is obviously no one, uh, one formula fits all as far as this is concerned, typically runners start in, uh, seeing improvements in the pay in their pace uh, for the same heart rate uh, in um, anything from in I would say between six to six to ten weeks. Now, that is one point of it. The other aspect is obviously this assumes that in each of those uh, 6 or 10 weeks, 6 to 10 weeks, you have been training for a minimum number of hours. Now, this is a very important concept, which is that when because math is not based on pace, it is, uh, it is very important to get in a certain number of hours of training. Forget how many kilometers you have run. Forget how many, you know, what pace you, uh, pace you ran just go out there and execute running for let's say 45 minutes five days a week or you know one hour for four days a week things like that now typically what we what you know it's again empirical there is no you know there is no scientific reason why it should be like that but empirically well, you start getting good results when you have done somewhere around 5 to 6 hours you know probably more closer to 6 hours uh, of uh, training uh, training every week uh, so you can split that into let's say 5 hours of one hour each and then you run a longer run on the on the weekend but remember the entire duration of the run you should stick to low heart rate and this is the absolute critical part of getting success from math because if you are not sticking to that zone of yours and not going over above above your maximum prescribed heart rate what will end up is that you are not really using that method so you are you know you are doing a hodgepodge of methods you are running some kilometers at a pace which is above the MAF threshold and some some at a some at a below the you know below the threshold so that's very very important Then the question is, how do I measure progress in math? That's very straightforward. For example, let's say you are running when you started your math in the first one month at a pace of seven minutes per kilometer. Then in the second, you know, then you do a test and I will explain how you do a math test. Uh, Basically, the math test is done as follows. You warm up for about 10 to 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. Very easy running, light jogging. Then you start your watch and you run about 5 miles or 8 kilometers, okay? Now, the way to measure this is you write down at what is the average pace for each of these miles that you ran. So, for example, for for everybody, what happens is that you are able to run the first mile at a pace, which will be the fastest, then, you know, it will be slightly slower and and further slower, etc., etc., till your last mile. You take the average of these uh, five miles that you uh, uh, miles that you have run, and that is your MAF pace. Okay, so let's say a runner starts off with uh, you know their uh, MAF training and the uh, and based on this test, their average pace is let's say seven minutes per kilometer. After four to six weeks of training, repeat this test, and typically your pace would have come down. To instead of seven, um, seven minutes per kilometer, it may come down to six minutes 30 seconds per kilometer or six minutes 45 seconds per kilometer. Also keep in mind that especially for runners who are in a tropical climate like in India, weather plays a very, very important part in your heart rate. Okay. So if you are doing, let's say, your initial test you did in the month of uh, February when you know the temperatures are cooler than let's say in end of March you would not expect to see in terms of your pace much improvement but don't worry about it because now you are putting your body through higher stress because the temperature is uh, temperature and humidity are higher but you are going to so if you are for example able to run at the same 7 minutes per kilometer pace at the end of uh, march compared to let's say middle of uh, february you can take it as uh, as improvement Okay, so that is how you and you have to stick with it. And a good analogy that I have, you know, read one of the one of the users of math method saying is that it's think about it like a, you know, the stock market. Basically, there will be dips up and down, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, if you take week on week or things like that. But generally for a good company, the stock price goes up right So the secular trend if you stick with uh, uh, if, uh, if, if you stick with the math method is that you will see improvements in pace. So stick to uh, stick to you know I would say minimum four days of training, highly recommended to do five to six days of training, get five to six hours of minimum of uh, ra- running uh, uh, at the math pace and then over a period of time, you will you will begin to see uh, be begin to see improvements and there are any number of runners who have run marathons who have run ultra marathons by training at nothing but the math pace so they don't do any speed work they don't do any tempo runs they don't do any of that but they just stick uh, to MAF math, uh, math method and obviously the um, the number of hours they train is appropriate for the distance that they are planning to race for so for example somebody who's using math method to run let's say a half marathon will run obviously a much lesser number of hours compared to somebody training for a, a marathon and somebody who's training for an ultra marathon will obviously run much, uh, you know, much more number of hours compared to somebody who is, uh, uh, who's run training for a, a training for a marathon. Okay. So this is in summary, uh, the, some of the aspects of math training. We have an episode, which I will link in the show notes with Flores gearman who is one of the leading exponents of this in the world. Today, we had interviewed Flores. If you are interested to learn more about MAF and uh, some of the nuances, please, I encourage you to go and uh, listen to that, uh, listen to that uh, episode. Moving on, our next question, which I get uh, from a lot of uh, listeners is about uh, nasal breathing. Now, the, you know, the most common way, uh, most of the athletes, uh, especially those who do endurance activities, breathe is through their uh, mouth. And there are some distinct advantages to moving to or switching to nasal breathing, at least for bulk of your uh, training and your uh, and your racing, and advantages uh, are uh, very very straightforward. Number one, there is a common misconception that we are able to take in a higher volume of air through when we um, breathe through the mouth. That is not correct. That is more a perception, and also it's very important to remember that the the exchange between uh, exchange of the oxygen and carbon dioxide ha- happens at the lower part of your diaphragm. So it's very important that the air actually that we breathe goes to that part of the body. Otherwise, what happens is that there is a lot of dead zone in the in the area between the mouth and the lower part of the diaphragm. And often what happens is that a lot of air gets uh, trapped in that. So while you may be thinking that you are breathing a very high volume of air. Actually, you are not uh, doing that. Now, coming back to the nasal breathing, it is number one. Uh, the the best uh, comment that I have heard is from uh, Patrick McEwen, whom we have interviewed in the podcast, who's a you know leading guru in the world in terms of uh, breathing techniques, and uh, he said he has said once that breathing through the breathing through the mouth is as good as trying to eat through the nose because. Uh, the reality is that the mouth is not an organ which is designed to breathe, uh, to breathe and which is why during, you know, for most of the day uh, or, and our sleep, we typically breathe through the nose for most people. Now, what are the advantages of nasal breathing? Number one is that the breathing, uh, the air that you take through the na- uh, nose is actually going deeper into your diaphragm and hence you get you get much higher benefits from breathing that amount of uh, air than leaving that air in the upper part of upper part of the chest number two the uh, nose uh, nasal cavity moisturizes the air moisturizes the air and that is much better for your body in terms of keeping it hydrated keeping it uh, uh, keeping the uh, keeping the body comfortable compared to mouth which is why when you know when we breathe a long time through the mouth we often feel a certain dryness of throat and things like uh, and things like that now that is another aspect of uh, nasal breathing that an advantage of nasal breathing that you need to uh, keep in mind uh one way to measure your ability to you know your uh, your body how how tuned your body is to is to breathing how good your breathing is to do something uh, uh, something called the bolt uh, bolt test and and bolt uh, basically stands for uh, body oxygen level test it is a very simple test sit down for about 5 minutes relax breathe breathe normally and then take a you know take a breath in and breathe out it's a, just a normal breath in and a normal breath out then pinch your nose and start timing yourself Till such time that you feel the urge to take a breath of uh, breath of air, or an involuntary moment that you know in your abdomen or your or your upper chest or your throat that you need uh, need to take the next breath. Now remember. This is not a maximum breath hold test. Okay, so maximum breath, uh, you know, so you don't need to squirm and use your willpower and things like that. Here, this is a simple measurement where you first feel the urge to breathe, or you or you come, or you become cognizant of your and some sort of an involuntary reaction in your body where it, uh, you know, you need to take the next breath of air. So, for example, you take a normal breath in, you breathe out. Then you pinch your nose and you start counting in seconds the amount, the number of seconds that you can hold, or the or you feel the urge for to draw in the next uh, next breath. Anybody who has a score of less than twenty five, that is less than twenty five seconds in this case. Needs to do some breathing techniques to improve, improve your, improve your breathing. Now, I'm not going to get into what are those uh, breathing exercises, uh, because, you know, that's, that's available. Plus, you can refer to our podcast with Patrick McEwen where he describes some methods. And also I have linked in that uh, uh, podcast in the show notes where you can look up the uh, look up the uh, look up the breathing exercises. But for example, you know, things like uh, pranayama in in yoga, etc. really helps in improving your uh, improving your breathing. But coming back to the main point, which is uh, when you are exercising, sticking to sticking to nasal breathing has tremendous advantages. Uh, Number one, it uh, it uh, uh, it leads to better exchange of uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide in your body. Number two it keeps the uh, uh, keeps the air hydrated as the uh, as you breathe through the nose and this leads to this leads to the body uh, uh, body loss of hydration to be much uh, much lesser. in fact studies have shown that so studies have shown that the, uh, the amount of water loss in athletes who stick to nasal breathing can be as, Low as up to forty-two percent, and that's a pretty significant uh, number when you think about uh, when you think about it, and it can have a very meaningful effect on your uh, performance. Now, how do you switch to nasal breathing? It's pretty much like any other training uh, method or a new training method that you adopt. Uh, start uh, start with uh, just running maybe half a kilometer or a short distance uh, with just using uh, just using uh, breathing through your nose. And as you gradually become more comfortable about it about it, keep increasing the keep increasing the distance. Personally, I can tell you that I've been doing this since February of 2020, and pretty much all my runs now I'm able to do just through uh, just through nasal breathing. And r- remember, I'm not talking about very hard workouts like uh, high intensity interval training or very hard intervals. But most of your running, since most of your running is going to be at uh, at a comfortable uh, comfortable pace, you can actually switch to completely uh, completely nasal breathing. So good luck with that. Do refer to our uh, episode with Patrick McKeven, which I am linking in the show notes to this uh, episode. Moving on now, the uh, topic next topic that we will be taking up uh, in uh, today is on barefoot or minimalist uh, uh, minimalist running what are its advantages how do you transition to it do you you know or or a more fundamental question do you have to uh, use barefoot running at all uh, etc okay now barefoot running there is no need for any explanation it is very straightforward it's basically when you don't use uh, any footwear basically you don't use any shoes while uh, while running now we need to take a step back here before we get into the advantages of barefoot uh, barefoot running as to why do we wear shoes it's primarily uh, primarily coming from a habit that we have formed uh, uh, over the last uh, probably hundreds or even thousands of years uh, however one thing to keep in mind is that the uh, at the bottom of your feet you have something Like uh, something like two hundred and fifty thousand nerve endings, and it is very rich in terms of capturing information to be relayed to the brain. In fact, the number of nerve endings at the bottom of your feet is uh, only next to those at the tip of your fingers and your lips. So, no other part of your body has as much of nerve endings as the bottom of your uh, feet, except for these two. And the reason why barefoot running helps is because that that ability of the body to then uh, translate that information from the ground back to your back to your brain and then make adjustments as you go to your running form is especially especially important and that is one of the main reasons why a lot of barefoot runners swear by this swear by this method the entire feel as you run on the Uh, when you come directly in contact with the ground or the earth is very very uh, is very very different okay so the feedback mechanism is one extremely important uh, extremely important advantage second is that typically what happens is that most of the running uh, most of the running shoes that we have have something called a heel drop now what is a heel drop it is simply the difference in height between the the, between the part of the shoe which is at the heel to the front of the shoe, typically these heel drops range from anything from four millimeter to you know as high as probably eight or even more, uh, eight mm or more. Okay. Now, in the case of uh, barefoot running, as you can well imagine, your body doesn't have any heel drop. Your heel and your and your and the balls of your feet, uh, balls of your feet are at the same uh, same height, and hence what happens is you bring more of your calf muscles and more of your Achilles into play okay so initially for example some of the people who transition to barefoot running do develop a bit of soreness uh, in their calves in their Achilles and that's you know while that is not uh, the case with all the runners who switch to barefoot running sometimes it can uh, sometimes it can definitely uh, definitely happen in that case you simply you know slow down a bit you use only a limited amount of training with uh, bare bare feet and gradually as your feet becomes stronger as you become more comfortable with it you increase your increase your uh, distance so uh, we have done actually two episodes on barefoot or minimalist uh, minimalist running and i will come to minimalist uh, running in a second uh these are with uh, thomas bobby philip who is a very very accomplished masters runners runner from india who has run seven sub 3 hour marathons he has you know finished uh, uh, finished uh, on the podium and first in multiple marathons uh, in uh, multiple marathons in India, as well as uh, with uh, Stephen Sashen, who's the founder of Zero Shoes, X-E-R-O, O Zero Shoes. So I'll link uh, these in the show notes. Now coming back to coming back to the bare other advantages of uh, barefoot uh, running is that it also takes away any kind of artificial changes in your form which if you have the wrong shoe can can lead to you know can lead to that so you are not uh, you are going to be running as naturally as uh, possible now a couple of things which to keep in mind is like like everything else you know which you adopt new to your training Start with barefoot running as a, as a very, very minimal amount in your, in, in your running plan. For example, I have started incorporating barefoot running in my training. So what I typically do is, let's say I'm going for a 10-kilometer run. I run 9 kilometers, finish the run, take off my shoes... And just you know tr- run one kilometer at a very very easy comfortable pace and slowly like that you start uh, building uh, building your uh, building your mileage i can tell you from personal experience the entire feel of running barefoot is extremely different from when you uh when you wear uh, when you wear shoes so do try it out it has you know tremendous advantages in terms of developing your uh, better running form, strengthening some of the muscles that I uh, mentioned, and it is something which uh, I would recommend that every runner incorporates as part of their uh, part of their uh, training because it has uh, clear benefits. Another term that uh, we hear often in conjunction with uh, barefoot running is minimalist running. Now, minimalist running uh, uh, means exactly uh, what it says, which is uh, basically running in shoes. Which have minimal cushion or quite uh, less uh, cushioning. Now this is uh, this is slightly different from barefoot uh, running, obviously, but it seems to for a lot of runners work because it kind of gives the best of both worlds. It uh, does give a much better feel from the ground, which is which is what we are really looking for in barefoot running. But at the same time, it gets over the mental hump of uh, running completely barefoot because you have some protection on your uh, on your feet so uh, essentially that's what uh, that's what minimalist uh, running means obviously when you are running with any sort of footwear it doesn't give you the uh, entire benefits that you could potentially get from barefoot running but nonetheless as i said for a lot of runners this uh, this seems to work so this is another aspect of your running that uh, you can think of incorporate some shoes into your shoe rotation where uh, you you have much minimal or much lesser cushioning than your other within coats uh, normal shoes so that is something again which you can uh, which you can check out the benefits are again similar to uh, similar to barefoot running which is that uh, you bring you get a much better natural feel. You bring uh, you help with your running form naturally without uh, without any external aids like stability shoes etc and finally it also leads to uh, all-rounded development of your lower uh, lower body muscles. So these are some of the aspects which uh, uh, which you can consider in your uh, in your training. So that concludes uh, today's uh, three topics that we wanted to cover. And uh, periodically, we will do these uh, Q&A sessions uh, to cover some of the commonly asked topics uh, of uh, ours. Thank you. Thank you very much to all the listeners. Please check out the podcast website runfitraj.com. That is R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. It has all the podcasts, it has all the show notes, and there is a very useful search function as well. You can reach out to me on my social media handles which are Running and Fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on runningandfitnesswithraj@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy, and till the next show, goodbye.